Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. David Bell is the USA Today bestselling, award-winning author of novels such as The Request, Layover, and Somebody's Daughter. In his latest thriller, Kill All Your Darlings, A student disappears and is presumed dead, and her professor passes off her manuscript as his own, only to find out it implicates him in an unsolved murder. This is a suspenseful, provocative novel about the sexual harassment that still runs rampant in academia and the lengths those in power will go to cover it up. Now let's join editor Danielle Perez in conversation with author David Bell. All right. Hello. Hi. I'm uh, Danielle Perez. I'm an executive editor at Berkeley, and I'm here today with the wonderful David Bell. Hello, David. Hey, how are you? It's good to talk to you. It is good to talk to you. Um, You and I have worked together for a number of years, which is, we won't say how many. No, we can say how many. Um, About 10, 52, 52 years. (laughs) 52 years. (laughs) I tend to count it in numbers of books yes, rather than indeed. years. So it's been 10, I think 10 books have come out and the 11th book is coming out soon. Yeah. So yeah, so that's it. Because we could be doing like 10 books a year. And it we could, could. We, yeah, it could be that because we're so young. Yeah, we could, but yeah. that would probably drive us crazy. I would, I would imagine. Yeah, um, let's not do that. I don't know how you would do that. But uh, so thank you, David, for joining us here today. Um, we're here, well, just to talk, but also to talk about your new book that is coming up in July this summer called Kill All Your Darlings, which is, of course, such a great phrase from William Faulkner. Um, in writing, you must kill all your darlings. So I think that's just such a really fun, interesting title. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about how that title fits this particular novel? Yeah, so Kill All Your Darlings is, some, is like you said, writing advice that's attributed to Faulkner, um, where basically he was saying, if you want to be a successful writer, you have to look at your writing and get rid of the thing that you think is most precious and most beautiful, right? And that will somehow make your writing better. Don't get attached to these things, right? Um, And so the novel, Kill All Your Darlings, is about a creative writing professor um, who has stolen um, one of his students' books. The student disappeared and was presumed to be dead, and the professor needed to make tenure. The professor's name is Connor Nye. And he said, I'll just pass this book off as my own because my student is dead. And then the book got published, And the day the book is published, Connor comes home and who is sitting in his living room but the student who is supposed to be dead. And she says, if you don't give me all the money. Yeah, surprise, I'm here. Surprise, here Um, I am. (laughs) If you don't give me all the money from the book, I'm gonna tell the whole world that you stole my writing. Um, And then things get even more complicated for Connor because the police show up the next day and they say, hey, we saw you publish this book and the detective who's investigating the case happens to read thrillers and has read his book and said, you know, the details in this murder in your book are very similar to the details in an unsolved murder here in town. 
And those are details that were never made public. Only the killer could know those details. And that makes Connor look like he's the murderer. So his problems just get worse from there. So the title, Kill All Your Darlings, refers to the writing and the writing teaching that goes on in the book, but also to the idea, spoiler alert, cover your ears, some people die in the course of the book. So it's also no. the idea that, <laughs> yes, yes. I know it's, it's shocking to read a thriller where people die. Um, yes. But some people die people in are... the book. So the, so the title is meant to refer to writing and teaching writing, and then also the fact that there are some people who inevitably meet their demise in the course of the book. Yeah, so multiple layers of meaning for such a great uh, phrase, as you said, that was attributed to Faulkner. But I mean, it also speaks a little bit kind of about the editing and the revision process as well, too, which is kind of interesting, too, that sort of you have to be willing to let go of some things that you maybe are very attached to in a, in a book, which I just think is really, <laughs> I'm an editor, so I think that's kind of interesting, it's, too. It's, uh, I think it's funny that the editor has that perspective on the title. Isn't that funny? Think about the things that have to be changed and removed from the book and how the writer has to accept that. Yes, it is. But it's, no, but it's true. No. I mean, I think that's it's, talking about teaching creative writing. I'm sure you've encountered this, but I teach creative writing. So mm -hmm. like one of the you things, are, you, one of the things you encounter is that sometimes students think they write something and no one can touch it. And that's certainly not the process that happens when people are publishing books that editors, agents, other people make suggestions and say, you know, this doesn't quite work. Could you, could you make this clear whatever? And that's something that all writers have to learn to live with. It's part of the deal. Um, now you have written, uh, this is your 11th novel, uh, mm -hmm. Kill All Your Darlings, your 11th suspense novel. And as you mentioned, of course, you are a professor at a university and have been for 16 years. 16 now, years, Something yes. about that, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, and you also, of course, direct the MFA program there. So after all of these other suspense novels that you've set in, you know, mostly Kentucky and Ohio, but in various different settings, why did you decide to now have this kind of mystery thriller plot set on a college campus? Was there a particular inspiration for it? Well, there are a couple reasons. I mean, I've always wanted to write a book set on a college campus just because I'm there and that's the world I know the most about. Um, and there are lots of stories on college campuses because, I mean, I teach at a fairly large university and there are just lots of people there. There are lots of professors and students and staff members and and everybody and people come and go. And so you, you see a lot of people and it's easy to imagine a lot of stories taking place among the faculty, the students, the people who work there, the sports teams, everything. So I've always wanted to write something in that setting. Um, sometimes I think as writers, we, at least I feel that way. Like I don't, I don't want to just write something that's so close to me, you know, because then I feel like, I don't know, whether that's the easy way out or I won't see it clearly or whatever. So it took a while for me to get to the point where I wanted to do it. The other part of it is, is that so, like you said, I've been teaching for 16 years. I was in graduate school for a long time before I taught. And I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of, there are a lot of abuses that can happen on a, on a college campus where especially professors 
take advantage of or try to take advantage of students, whether that's like sexual harassment uh, and things like that. And I've seen that and I've, and I've seen that up close places uh, when I was a graduate student and as a professor. And I've seen the, the damage that that does to people. I've seen the harm that is obviously caused to the individual who is the subject of the harassment or the abuse. But it also, it affects everybody. I mean, everybody can get caught up in something like that. Everybody suffers consequences when there's an abuse of power or a breakdown in trust. Um, and so I thought this is a subject that would be a good subject for a thriller. Um, and it's a subject that I think still needs to be addressed. I mean, obviously we had the Me Too movement a couple of years ago, and I'm not trying to discount the enormous strides and awareness that we've all made, uh, much belatedly, but we're making those strides, but it still happens. I mean, any place where there are power imbalances um, like exist in academia, there's the opportunity for abuse. And so I thought this was an opportunity to write a story that, that was, yes, it was a thriller and it was about, you know, people disappearing and people being murdered and all of those things, but it was about this important issue that I think is timely and something that people need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Definitely, absolutely. That's, that's one of the things I love about this novel and other novels of yours is that in addition to the great characters and you know, the setting and the, the mystery, the thriller plot itself, but here you really, you have some really great themes here that you're really getting at through the plot and the characters in the book. And as you say, you know, shining kind of a light on sexual harassment and harassment that professors might do to their students um, at colleges and at universities with the difference in power, uh, the power differential and that students don't really have a lot of recourse or a lot of um, kind of really great ways to, you know, kind of deal with that. Um, but while you were writing the book, did you come across anything while you were writing about campus life or about students or about professors that kind of surprised you? Did you end up having to do any interviews or research for anything? Or did you just, you know, purely come up with the story on your own? And as you said, like, you know, some various things that you've experienced or seen on, uh, on campuses over the years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, since I'm, I'm in that world, um, I, I didn't have to do research about like, what's it like to be a college professor or what's it like to, uh, to pretend to be awake in a faculty meeting and things like <laughs> that because, because I know all those things very well. Um, but I have over the years and, and during the time when I was writing the book, I talked to um, you know, some of my colleagues and students that I've had and students I currently have um, and even just you know, uh, other people who people I know who have, you know, been through college or have been in academia or whatever. And, and I was surprised that it seems like almost everyone has had this issue touch their lives in some way, shape or form. I mean, I don't think of myself as being in any way naive or a Pollyanna who thinks like, oh, the world's this beautiful place. I'm shocked that there are horrible things that happen in the world. I don't think of myself that way. Um, but, but it was still surprising how, how wide reaching um, it, it could be and how many people's lives have been affected by it. And so that just was kind of more motivation to continue on with the story and to recognize that this is a story that in some way, shape or form, a lot of people are going to understand and relate to because 
this issue is far reaching in academia and obviously in other places too. Right, so it, it really kind of does speak to today and it's something that, something that hasn't gone away that you would think maybe more strides had been made with um, by now, but it's not, not, not nearly as much has, has happened. Um, but one of, the, um, one of the other things with the protagonist here, Connor Nye, who is the, the English professor who kind of steals the, the student's uh, manuscript when he thinks she's disappeared. Did you, did you have sympathy for his character as well since he has gone through some tragedies in his life and he's kind of at a point where he really needs you know, tenure in the whole publish or perish that people have heard about at colleges and universities that he does such sort of a desperate act. Did, how do you want, you know, how did you feel about his character? How did you, how do you think, how do you think readers will feel about his character? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it, he did something horrible. I mean, it's about the worst thing you can do if you're a writing professor or if you're a writer is to steal somebody else's work. I mean, like that's the worst thing you can do. And we find out very quickly in the book that he has done this. He has taken the work of this student who he thought was dead um, and, now, and now he's been caught doing that, at least caught by the student. So that, that is a challenge, I think, as a writer to, to allow people to empathize with this guy or at least understand this guy. Um, but I, I also think that in the, my hope is that in the course of the book, um, the reader understands why Connor did what he did, how desperate he was. He's lost his wife and son in an accident before the book has started and he's just been in a funk. And he's thinking like, this is the last thing I can do to save my bacon and keep my job if I wanna do it. And, and it's just like, it's a- My bacon? Save his bacon, save his save butt. His yeah, I don't know, maybe that's bacon. a, Got maybe it. saving your bacon is a Kentucky expression, Danielle, I don't know. No, um, no, I'm- <laughs> um, but so, but I hope the reader understands how desperate he is and they feel his desperation. And then I hope without spoiling anything, I hope the reader who reads the whole book comes to see that Connor is on a journey and he is changing as a, as a character and where he ends up at the end of the book um, and how he has changed the way he sees what he's done by taking this book from the student and, and the pain that that's caused people I hope they, they hang with him to the end and have that kind of empathy sure. for him, right? Well, what's great is that you you always do these very fully developed, you know, interesting characters where you can see different elements and different layers of them. And so the the professor and then of course the student herself when she comes back in a sort of a you know a surprise. So your protagonist, Connor, he has a great rapport with his students perhaps too great a rapport. He goes out drinking with them sometimes. Uh, is that something that you've ever done as a professor with your students? Do you feel that you have a, you know, that type of kind of friendly relationship with them? I mean, it's different. I teach undergraduates and graduates. So I would never socialize with undergraduates. It's just, you don't, you don't know how old they are. I mean, I, you can mm -hmm. have undergraduate students who are 18 or 19 and you can have them who are 50 um, and I don't I don't want to wade into that so like I don't I don't get to know students like that outside of class um, unless they've graduated and like and you know once they graduated and if they stick around town you sometimes see people like that um, you know graduate students the graduate students I teach yeah you know occasionally like the first day of class you know when they're new graduate students, 
we might go out after class and like have a beer at a, at a local place just to kind of like get to know everybody um, and that kind of thing because they're poor graduate students getting paid like very little money to be there. And so, so I you're picking like, up the check, of course, I, right? I pick yeah. up the check because yeah. <laughs> of my vast wealth as a famous author. I pick up the check. Um, so and so yes, I, I do that. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's I, like I said, I teach at a big school. So the number of students, we, we have students who run the gamut. And there are some students who will just pass through your class and they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to come to your office. They don't want to know. They're just there and they come and go. And, and that's fine. That's their choice. Um, there are other students who want to come around to your office hours and chat and they want to talk about you know, what are they going to do when they graduate and, and what's it like to be a writer and, and you know, what, what should they do with their futures? And I say, don't ask me for advice. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, no, I'm happy to give that kind of advice because I can remember being a student many thousands of years ago and, and looking up to professors in that way and going to their office hours and, and chatting with them and asking for their advice and and I remember the ones who were really happy to do it and treated my youthful anxieties and fears <laughs> and everything as though they were important, you know, that they were listening to me and were willing to try to give me advice and guide me in life. And so I feel like in a way it's like passing it on, right? Somebody did mm -hmm. that stuff for me when I was young and now I'm in a position to do that for some people. Uh, if they want to come and seek my advice. So I, I do enjoy that part of the job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can imagine maybe some students, uh, you know, maybe their, their, uh, their parents or other people in their lives maybe aren't as excited if they're perhaps getting a, an MFA, because you also, of course, run the direct the MFA program there. Um, uh, maybe thinking, oh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, money in you being a, a writer right. down the line. Um, so it's great that they, you know, they have someone that they can talk to as well, who's a published, a published author of many, of many books, of many novels. Um, since you've been in the college classroom for, you know, a number of years, how would you feel things have changed in college, um, in colleges? Of course, technology, social media, I, I would think would be two of the, of the biggest changes? How do you see that sort of playing out with your students? Yeah, definitely technology is a big change because when I was in college, like even someone having a personal computer in their dorm room was incredibly rare. Mm -hmm. um, and now when I, I think Facebook just kind of started to show up when I was starting to teach, you know, like 2005, 2006. Facebook was just kind of becoming a thing. And I can remember my students telling me about this thing. And I remember thinking like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That'll never last. Like, what is that? that? Yeah, That's who is this guy who invented this and will someday own all of us? Um, little did I know. Um, so yeah, so the social media thing is obviously a big difference. Um, and and you, know, you can obviously imagine the ways that can affect students' lives. I'm glad there wasn't social media when I was in high school or college or Me at any time. Too. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Certain things but, just shouldn't um, be safe it, forever. Yeah. It's well, it, and it's clearly just, it's a generational difference. They don't all think about it the same way we think about it. Like when they share stuff on social media, they don't think about 
that that to me that's they think that's part of like privacy you know that's like what they do and we see that from a, the opposite side of that digital native dividing line right so that's a big deal um the other thing that i've just noticed over the years and it comes up in the book a bit in the ca character of madeline who is a working class kid who's working in a grocery store to try to pay her way through college and she's just barely keeping her head above water leaving living in a dumpy apartment and taking out student loans is i think the economic pressure on students has changed a lot college is getting more and more and more expensive and it's harder and harder and harder for working class and even middle class kids to find a way to pay for it without working all the time or going into debt and this also comes up a tiny bit in the book and i'm not asking anybody to cry for like college professors but I think sometimes have this people have this mistaken impression that like if you're a college professor you're making tons of money and you're like you know living the high life if you teach at a public university and especially if you teach at a public university in a place like kentucky you're not getting rich it's not a luxurious lifestyle so universities are really being squeezed financially the students are really being squeezed financially and it makes everybody's lives more difficult and it makes it harder for students to concentrate on academics, which is what they're supposed to be there for. Um, and I don't know how seriously we're taking that stuff as a culture, but that, that to me is something that just continues to be a bigger and bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how people afford, yeah, college uh, yeah. these days is so, so tough. Um, now this novel also kill all your darlings differs a little bit from your other books not just that it all takes place on you know campus and has those sorts of themes and characters and issues um there are multiple points of view and it goes back and forth in time it was a little bit of a different kind of story that you were telling in this book um do you want to speak a little bit about that about sort of a little bit what was new in this book and how you were telling this particular novel and story yeah, I've never really, I've written from multiple points of view before, but I've never really written um, a book with the different timelines, right? Where some events are taking place five years ago and some are taking place three years ago and some are taking place one year ago. And then a lot of stuff is taking place in the present. And it just seemed like that was the way to tell this story because there are all these different threads to the story. Um, and there are events that happened in the past that are clearly affecting the present um, and events that are, have happened in the recent past that are clearly affecting the present. And they're all and different characters know different pieces of the story. And so every time we shift to a different time or to a different character, we learn something else. And the story is so jangled and crazy with all these different characters who have become involved in these, in these uh, murders and missing people cases and whatever, that it just seemed like that was the natural way to tell the story, that, that, mm -hmm. that this was a jumbled, difficult story to get your ha hands on. Um, and so it made sense to tell it that way so that we heard from as many of the characters as possible we heard as many of the different points of view as possible. And we saw, and, and all my books talk about this in some way, but especially in this book, the way these events from the past are directly affecting what is happening in the present and that you can't escape from these things that have happened in the past. I think one of the characters in the book even says something like, you know, the past always comes back to get you. You can't just like stay away from the past forever. So in this book, 
the past is literally happening on the page side by side with the present. Um, and that gives that sense of that confused story that eventually we figure out what's going on. Uh, did you find that to be more of a challenge to write that? Uh, did you, I know you're a, you're, you do obviously do outlines kind of synopses for, for books before you start writing other, you know, some authors are a little more kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Some are more in terms of uh, plotting out a book or a little bit more, they want to stick more to the schedule of how you get from A to B to C. And did that affect, since this was a, more kind of maybe challenging story with the various timelines with the with the points of view um, and the going back and forth in time did you find that was more of a challenge um, and did you enjoy it it was certainly more of a challenge and it scared me before I started writing the book because I didn't know if I could do it I thought like I I can envision writing the story this way but I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it off? Like, you know, what if I get in the middle of this and I realize, oh my gosh, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Um, but you're right, it helps. I make a pretty detailed outline, as you know, that helps. Um, and, and ultimately it ended up being fun because of the challenge. You know, it, it required me to, um, to think about the book in a different way um, and to juggle more, more plot lines and more balls than I've ever done before. Um, but the challenge was exciting to take on. And ultimately, I think the result worked um, mm -hmm. after, after much time and much effort. Definitely. The, res the result ended up working well. So I'm happy that I took the challenge. I mean, I think, I think that's one of the things, you know, we talked about like, you know, writing a book a year and, and all that. I think writers have to find ways to challenge themselves and to push themselves. And I think readers respond when writers push themselves and challenge themselves and try different things. Um, so that's what I was doing. So ultimately when the readers read the book, they'll let us know how it worked. <laughs> well, so, so far all the, the, early, the early, early press and blurbs and reviews have been really terrific, which is great. Since you are a professor of English at uh, Western Kentucky University and you direct the MFA program there, do your students ever come to you and say, you know, what, what should I be writing? You know, do they look to you for that sort of advice of what, what to write and how, how do you handle something like that? You know, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I like most about teaching creative writing is that, like I said, we have a lot of different kinds of students on campus and um, the creative writing students are all, all from all different walks of life. Um, and so their stories tend to be all different things. You know, you can have students who are writing, you know, they're trying to like write the next Harry Potter. They're trying to write fantasy. They're trying to write horror. They're trying to write just like weird experimental fiction and, and all this stuff. Um, and to me, that's one of the interesting things about teaching is that I'll have a class of 20 students and there will be just like 20 very different stories um, with, you know, and they come up with the strangest ideas and the most interesting ideas. Um, and, you know, they're still figuring out how to write. So it's not like they're always the, the most perfectly crafted story, but I really enjoy seeing uh, the strangeness and the weirdness and the diversity <laughs> of the ideas that they come up with. Um, I try not to steer them in any particular direction about their subject matter. Uh, I say that they can write about anything they want to write about in any genre, I don't care if that's up to them. I just try to say that 
all good stories do certain things. You know, you have to have characters you care about and the character has to learn something and there has to be a plot that moves forward and all that. But I, but I enjoy the fact that they come up with a lot of wacky stuff um, <laughs> that, I, that I would not have- A found. lot of wacky, strange things you've said, uh, describing some of, are some of them also trying to write, you know, the great American novel, the great literary masterpiece of the, of the new generation oh. or of the new decade? Yeah, absolutely. Some of them, I mean, the MFA students clearly tilt toward the more literary. Although we've had a couple who have, uh, we had one, an MFA student a couple of years ago who wrote a fantasy novel as her thesis, which was really good. Um, but the MFA students, you know, they tilt a little more toward the literary, but even some of the undergraduate students come in with a strong literary sensibility and they want to, you know, they, they see themselves as being like, you know, the next the next Faulkner or the next Jhumpa Lahiri or somebody like that. Um, so yeah, so they're trying all kinds of stuff. And um, mm -hmm. every once in a while, there's even a student who they do something and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm not sure I even understand <laughs> what they're doing. And I have a PhD, you know, and I, so, mm -hmm. and there are no Cliff's Notes online for the student stories that no one has ever read before. So I, that's, that's where my training kicks in and I pretend like yeah. I know what I'm talking about. Yes, very forceful. Yeah, they're all original for sure, yeah. all their ideas. Um, well, that leads to a kind of a natural next question, which is since you have published a number of novels and have been you know, very successful suspense novelist, um, some, of the, some of Connor's colleagues in Kill All Your Darlings look down upon him a little bit for writing you know, a mystery or a thriller or like an airport novel or however they might describe it. Um, has, anyone ever thought or even said something to you where you work or a previous job perhaps, uh, so you don't have to speak about current people that you work with, that you should be writing, you know, the great American novel or the next literary masterpiece instead of, you know, kind of fun, popular, thoughtful thrillers. Yeah, I mean, I have tenure, so I can say whatever I want <laughs> about the people I currently work with. Tenure? Um, oh, no, it's, you know, I, the English department where I teach is a really big department. And so there are a lot of people who teach there. And um, I have colleagues who are really supportive of my career. They read my books, they come to my events, and they read other thrillers, you know, like I've, I've, I can remember talking to someone in the hallway and, and she said like, well, I really wanna read your book, but I have to read the new Karen Slaughter first because she's my favorite writer. And it's like, okay, so they're reading Karen Slaughter, they're reading thrillers and all that. So there are a lot of people who are very supportive and even people who don't, who may not read the books and like thrillers who are supportive just as like, you're doing good stuff, keep it up. Um, you know, occasionally there are people who make little comments about like, you know, like, um, they, no one's ever said it directly about one of my books, but I can remember like being, being in a meeting where someone made a comment like, oh, you know, that's like, just like a mystery that you would just read at the beach. Like that's a very dismissive thing to say about a book that people like to read and would read at the beach. And I was thinking to myself, you do know, no, I'm sitting here, right? Like you're saying this <laughs> directly, yeah, you know, like directly in front of me. Um, but those people are in the minority. I mean, I think that you know, honestly, academia kind of breeds that where people want to think that they're special and they only read like the special books and they don't read the books that, you know, the great unwashed masses read. Um, but, you know, the student, especially the undergraduate students, for the most part, they're reading stuff that is pretty popular. They're reading 
young adult books, they're reading Harry Potter, they're reading Stephen King, they're reading all those things. Um, so I, I feel like I'm a little more in touch just because I'm writing and reading some of the same things that, mm -hmm. um, that those people read. And I, and I think those categories, you know, those categories get annoying at some point just to like say like read this and not this. If it's a great story, who cares what the genre is and, and who wrote it? It's just, it's a great story mm -hmm. and read it. And, and that's just kind of the way I view it. Well, great. Um, me too, for sure. Uh, for, so that leads to a kind of a natural next question, which is, um, do you have any recommendations of any books that you're reading now or have you know read recently that you'd want to uh, kind of give a plug to or talk about here a bit? Sure. I mean, one that I've read recently that I thought was really good, and it's getting a lot of attention, so it doesn't really need my help, uh, but that's Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. Um, Cos Cosby, I'm sorry. And um, just like, I really like books that have like chases and cars and on the road and like people running. And that book has that, like that chasing noirish, you know, kind of thing. And the guy getting drawn back into the life that he thought he had left behind. I think those stories are always interesting. And so that one is really well done. And I really liked that one. Um, there's a book that is coming out in August, I believe. I got a sneak peek, Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. Um, mm -hmm. He's co-written books with Stephen King. Um, this is a book he wrote on his own. And um, it's, it's really interesting because it's like this faux, um, faux true crime book about a made up murder. He's made, Rich has made up the murder, but it's presented as though it's like in cold blood or something. And there are like pictures and, and it's really oh, documentary. Kind of like meta a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind crime. of like, uh, it's kind of like if Ray Bradbury had written in cold blood. So you get like the, the weird, like creepy fall horror-ish atmosphere, but it's also about like this missing person and all that. Anyway, it'll be out in August mm -hmm. and it's really great. And you should check that out. And then there's um, a good friend of mine, Kara Ruda, who's a great suspense writer. Um, her latest book, yep. which just came out called The Next Wife. Um, it just has this really great hook where there's like, this love triangle kind of thing. It's like a, a guy and his current wife and his ex-wife and they're all kind of like forced to be together. And so just right away, it's such a weird, uncomfortable situation. And I, you know, I always think like thrillers want to hook you right away and want to put you in a situation right away where you're saying like, where on earth can this story go? It's such a weird setup and such a complicated, difficult setup. And so Kara's book has that, and then it just gets, you know, things spin out of control and get weirder and weirder. So that's another one that I think was really good that came out this summer. Oh, great. Yeah, kind of that snowballing that can happen to uh, an every man or an every woman, um, which I think is, is definitely kind of a story that I'm drawn to as well. And I think is, is something that you do and that you do really, really well in your, in your novels. Um, well, thank you very much for those great recommendations. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Kill All Your Darlings or uh, it will be the meaning out. of life? The meaning uh, of anything, life. The meaning of life. Um, I know nothing about that. Um, no, Kill All Your Darlings will be out July 6th. I'll be doing some virtual events and everybody can check out my social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and my website, davidbellnovels.com. And you can find out all the fun stuff that's going on. And I love to hear from readers. 
on those platforms. So find out what's going on and I hope to see you there. And thanks a lot. I hope you all enjoy all right. the book. Great. Well, thank you, David, very much for your time today. Thanks for joining us. This was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.